Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, the publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We're talking here on Friday, June 24th, 2022. There are just a couple of days of early voting left in the June primaries. And then we've got primary day coming up on Tuesday, June 28th. These are, of course, the consequential party primaries for governor, Lieutenant Governor, State Assembly, and other races at the top of the ticket, the Democratic primary and the Republican primary for governor to set up the general election that will occur throughout the summer and into the fall. Those are the marquee races. There's also a very competitive Democratic primary for Lieutenant Governor going on. And as I said, a number of State Assembly primaries that folks should pay attention to. We've got a rundown of races to watch at GothamGazette.com, so you can find those there. But we're continuing to dig in here in the final days on these major statewide races. And I'm very pleased to be joined here for something of a closing argument interview by Republican Harry Wilson. Now, he's running in the primary for governor alongside three other Republicans, Lee Zeldin, Andrew Giuliani, and Rob Astorino. They've had a series of uh, pretty uh, fiery and interesting debates. We've been covering them at Gotham Gazette. You can find the write-ups there. Uh, Harry Wilson is running as something of an outsider to politics. He's uh, run for office once before, a decade or so ago, but has mostly spent his time in the private sector, and he's running on that experience. And as we enter the final days here of the campaign, campaign. Very pleased to be joined by Harry Wilson. Harry, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be with you. So you're running as a uh, turnaround expert and New York is in need of a turnaround, you argue. Uh, Just give people a couple of notes on what makes you a turnaround expert. What are the couple of uh, experiences you'd point to in your uh, private sector career and your work uh, helping government. You did some work uh, with the Obama administration coming out of the Great Recession. Uh, What are a couple of highlights you'd point voters to here uh, about your background that make you the turnaround expert you're running on? Sure. So broadly, over my entire career, I've come into failing companies, companies in or near bankruptcy that had been mismanaged and came in to fix that mismanagement repurpose the company, establish a new vision, a new plan, and and set the company out on a road to success. Uh, The most famous example is my uh, work overseeing the the restructuring turnaround General Motors during the financial crisis. When we came into General Motors, it was losing $4 billion a month, all paid for by the U.S. taxpayer. It had been shrinking for 55 years. Everyone said it could not be fixed, and we fixed it in under six months. It was profitable by the end of the summer. It's had record profits ever since. Uh, but at that same skill set that I used in that um, scenario is exactly what I've done with the largest trucking company in the country, the largest nursing home chain in the country. Um, you know, it was very involved in Sotheby's, the auction house, long list of companies uh, over the last, uh, you know, my entire career where we've used that same playbook. And that's exactly the skills I think we need to fix the most broken state government in the country in, in Albany. What are those skills? And, you know, how do you, what do you, what do you tell people you're really good at? What makes you able to do those things you just cited and, and that you bring to state government? What are a couple of the, the highlights? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of it is, is a um, clear focus and discipline around the mission and making sure that all elements of the enterprise serve the mission 
and don't distract from the mission. Now, at some level, that's simple, but that's, you know, too many companies fail at it because they get distracted, whether it's by bureaucracy, competing interests, uh, mismanagement, um, you know, folks looking to, you know, kind of further their own interests as opposed to the core mission of the enterprise. But it really starts with what's the core purpose of the enterprise? What are we trying to do for the customer? In New York State, I would argue that's create the, the circumstances for the highest quality of life. Um, for all New York families. That means, in my view, a low tax, low regulatory um, job creating environment means great public schools, good infrastructure, good public health. Um, and, and then otherwise, generally to be uh, for citizens to be left alone as much as possible, I believe, in maximizing individual freedom and limiting government. And so if you if you take that lens and apply it to New York State, you and you can then compare us to our 49 competitors for talent and people, um, or 49 other states. You see that New York is fundamentally failing in all those respects, uh, and that's why I call it the most broken state government in the country. People who've only lived or done business in New York, uh, and I've lived in New York almost my entire life, other than college and business school, um, don't appreciate how much worse and how much harder it is to be in New York than it is in, in virtually any any other state. And so that's the those are the things that can be fixed and redirected to make sure that we're actually creating a much better place to live and work for the people of the state. Now, obviously you're running in the Republican primary for governor. You, as you just noted, offering, uh, you know, something of a, of a conservative vision for how you uh, want to run the state, limiting government, reducing taxes, regulations, uh, as you said, getting government out of the way more. New York obviously is a, is a heavily democratic state. There's even more independents than Republicans at this point. Uh, I want to talk about winning the Republican primary in a moment, but just because of what you just said, how do you how do you sort of and I know you have to win the primary first to make this case much uh, to the larger electorate. But how do you sort of think about convincing New Yorkers to follow that vision and that it would work out for them when clearly New Yorkers overall have been voting more and more for the party that you know wants more government and, and institutes more you know uh, taxes and government programs and so forth? How, what's the what's at the core of that that you say would improve quality of life? Yeah, absolutely. So this, I'm, I'm glad you did. It's a great question because let me focus on two pieces. One is keep in mind, I did run for office once before. So this is not theory. This is something I've you know, lived through. And the reason I was the only Republican in the last 20 years to come close to winning statewide when I almost beat the popular incumbent, Tom DiNapoli, no other Republican has come within 13 points. And then the year that I almost won, the top of the ticket lost by 32 points. No one, no Democrat or Republican in my lifetime has ever outperformed the top of the ticket by that much. So people always ask me, how did you manage to do that? Your only run for office uh, in, a, in a, an office that a lot of people consider somewhat obscure, even though I think it's incredibly important. And the answer is because I took this exact approach. I've been very consistent and basically said, look, I can use this skill set to deliver better results for people across the state. And you might say, well, you didn't win. I didn't win because my name ID wasn't very high. I had 35% name ID on election day because uh, it was a more limited campaign. The people who knew who I was in our polls favored me by 25 points over a popular incumbent. That's all voters. The problem is only 35% of the state knew who I was. So that message clearly resonated. And then the, the broader question, and in a, in a gubernatorial race, we'll have much higher name ID. That won't be an issue at all. So the question then becomes is why did it resonate? And that's because I believe that, you know, I do believe there's an important role for government. I do believe in a social safety net. I do believe that we should be making sure that we maximize the quality of opportunity. Uh, I just also believe in accountability and making sure that we actually focus on results, not just rhetoric, that spending more money 
if it doesn't deliver results, is actually not the answer. It's actually part of the problem. But if we actually focus on delivering results, then that's what all uh, the vast majority of of actual citizens care about. And I think career politicians will focus on spending more money because it's something they could promise to special interests. But the average person on the street, Democrat or Republican, they want better results at a lower cost. Mm-hmm. And so that's that message. That, that's why I think it resonated so well and so on a bipartisan fashion, uh, even though it comes from a limited government perspective, because I think ultimately that's what all people want. It's just they've not been given that choice. They've, they're given a choice between, um, you know, kind of a different kind of Republican that just wants to cut spending without providing a solution and a Democrat that wants to address their issues. When the reality is you can actually if you're if you're thoughtful and, and, and structure the organization properly, you can actually do both. Mm. That 2010 race for state controller, uh, you outperformed, you're saying the top of the ticket, the Republican nominee for governor against Andrew Cuomo was Carl Palladino, of course. In the 12 years since, we've seen the Republican Party move what, in in shorthand, you could say is more towards the party of Palladino than the party of Wilson. How do you, how have you been trying to uh, recorrect that when you talk to um, Republican primary voters in this campaign. And right now with just a few days left, that's really who you obviously need to continue to be talking to. So what's your, what's your message to Republican voters who, um, you know, we've seen on the debate stage and we can get into this in a minute, but, you know, uh, Lee Zeldin, you know, repeatedly referring to as a never Trumper, obviously trying to highlight to Republican voters that you are not sort of in line with, uh, a lot of the party orthodoxy. How do you speak to Republican voters? about saying, here's, uh, you know, here's the Harry Wilson version of the Republican Party we need to, you know, you need to follow. Yeah, no, this is another very important question. And I would say, listen, I think people misunderstand the evolution of the party over the last 12 years. Um, I've lived it. (laughs) I've been Mm. part of it. And I think what really happened in the party is a lot of the party base became very disenchanted with establishment Republicans who talked a good game, but it didn't actually deliver for them. And and that's why the party has taken a more populist turn. Um, I actually it was a you know populist before it was cool. Like I you know I grew up in a working class family in upstate New York. I thought that and have always thought that limited government policies focused on market based um, uh, reforms are better for working people. But you actually have to deliver for those. And and the Republican Party has not done a great job uh, nationally, particularly in delivering for working people. And so that's why my whole focus is taking that skill set and using it to really benefit um, you know, all New Yorkers. Uh, and that's where I think the party fell down. That's where that's the biggest evolution of the party is people who are sick of career politicians, like my three opponents, who have not delivered for them and looking for someone different who actually has the skills to, to and, and the courage to take on Albany, turn it upside down and make sure it works for the people of the state. So that's why I think I've gotten as, as much support as I have um, in this race is because people realize I'm the person in this race with the, with the proven track record to actually do that and, uh, and will do that to, to fix the state. For Republican primary voters, um, what are the what are the top you know few things without without getting into all the details because we don't have time for that in this in this interview here? But what are the top few things that you're saying? I I can really deliver and will deliver these two or three things to improve uh, improve your your quality of life and and you know the the prospects for you to as you've talked about you know stay in New York raise a family etc. What is the um, what are the top promises there? 
Yeah, no, uh, great question. So the, you know, I, I think universally, and this is, I think, true for all New Yorkers, not just Republicans, the top three issues are consistently crime, taxes, and cost of living. The sequence of those will vary depending on where you live and your own circumstances, but those are the top three. And I think, uh, you know, philosophically, all four candidates directionally agree on all those. The question is, who can actually deliver? And so on taxes, all Republicans favor lower taxes. But to get to cut taxes, you have to cut spending. And none of the candidates running have ever cut spending. Uh, and so in my case, I've actually done it in company after company, not arbitrarily, which anybody could do, but in a way that actually delivers better services at a lower cost by driving accountability and benchmarking off best-in-class competitors, which in this case are other states that are better managed than New York. And so I have a proven track record of actually being able to deliver what I say I'm going to do, which is at least $25 billion in spending cuts to then fund a 20% income tax cut and a 20% property tax cut. My opponents have been running for governor for a year and a half, two years. Um, they never even talked about tax cuts, much less of this magnitude until I showed up. And now they're trying to, you know, kind of repeat some of the things I've said, but not at the same magnitude or with any sort of a plan. And so that's an example of, yes, we all want lower, I think all people want lower taxes, particularly Republicans want lower taxes. The um, But I'm the only one actually has proven to be able to do the things they need to do to actually get lower taxes. On cost of living, same, same thing. You know, that regulatory reform, of kind of stripping away regulations that, that um, do not benefit society at large, or at least in a cost-effective way. Again, I'm the only one in this race who's ever done that on a policy basis. And, and that's the skill set you need. Anybody can talk about it. The question, and, that, and one of the problems with politics, Ben, in my opinion, is we reward talkers, not doers. You know, if someone says what we want to hear, we tend to vote for them. Whereas you would never do that in a job interview. In a job interview, you're going to focus on who's actually got the proven skill set to succeed that that's needed in the job or for which they're interviewing. And so when you think about governor, it's not a question of who's the best talker or who's the best debater. It's a question of who is the proven executive that can actually come in and fix a broken organization that employs 200,000 people and spends $220 billion a year. I'm the only one to even come close to doing anything like that in my career, and I've been doing it for 30 years. No one else in the field has done it even once. Uh, I was referencing a little bit earlier the sort of difference, uh, which is especially acute in New York between the Republican primary and the general election. You're dealing with uh, such a smaller universe in the Republican primary than you are in the general, where there's uh, many more Democrats in New York. Independents outnumber Republicans even. Uh, a lot of those numbers, of course, uh, you know, revolve around New York City and some of its bluer suburbs um, where, you know, the population uh, is, is so heavy in terms of percentage of the state. But um, but it still winds up being what the numbers look like statewide. Um, you don't seem at this point, you know, we, we followed the, the GOP convention months ago, the state convention, and that was, you know, pretty remarkable because you got the four of you Republican primary candidates sort of getting up on stage and, and making pitches to the, the party representatives that a lot of those pitches focused on general election electability. But I don't know that I've heard a lot of that recently from you. And it seems to me given where the Republican Party is headed and given where New York State is, you have probably the strongest claim to general election electability of the candidates. But I don't I don't know that I hear you running on that. Is that just not a strong primary message because primary voters really want to hear you on the issues? Or am I missing that you're making that message more? Or, you know, should that be more of your message down the stretch here about general election chances? Because as you said, 
you know, in 2010, you, you were the Republican who's come the closest in the last 20 years to winning statewide. No Republican has won in New York statewide since George Pataki. Um, is that is that message important to get out there? Have you been getting it out there? And is it something Republican voters actually care about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a great question. I, I do talk about electability quite a bit. Um, I think it does get subsumed in a lot of interviews around issues, questions, which is understandable. Um, but I do think I'm, you know, I think I have the proven track record of being the only person with a realistic chance at winning um, in November. And, you know, it does, that's why, as I say to voters, it doesn't matter what you might think. The only question is who can win? Uh, because if you can't win, it's all academic. And I said that at the convention, I've been saying that repeatedly over the last four months. Uh, now, a lot of people tend to think that the person they like um, the most is the one most likely to win. And people, unfortunately, for politics and for American society, tend to live in a, in a bit of a bubble in an echo chamber around you know, people with very similar views. And so those who don't travel the state and spend a lot of time understanding the diversity of the state and how, how important it is to build a, a broader coalition than just the Republican Party, which would mean you get 25 percent of the vote, uh, is that's that's the that's the core problem, and so um, so I, I do talk about it, but I don't know that um, enough. The party fully appreciates how hard it is to win statewide. I've heard people say things like, "Oh, we're going to win everything this year." Democrats doing such a bad job. It's like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> arithmetically, that is not the way it's going to work. And so we need someone who can create that bipartisan coalition. Uh, without that, we're going to be consigning the state to four more years of the, I think it'll be Kathy Hochul, whoever the Democratic nominee is. And all Republicans should realize that is a very bad outcome for New Yorkers that we have to avoid with, by nominating the right person who can win. Now, that was that was obviously on the minds of Republican leadership because many have wanted you to run in the past in uh, yeah. for governor. Uh, I don't know all the ins and outs here, but clearly there was, you know, some uh, some significant interest in you running for this election. But you waited a long time. Lee Zeldin jumped in very early, uh, wrapped up a lot of party support. Uh, some of the same people who I think if you especially get them in a private moment would acknowledge the you know the challenges of winning the general election statewide. Um, GOP party chair Nick Langworthy, when he took over a few years back, they you know, he he said the number one goal is winning the governor's office in 2022. Uh, that was way before, you know, anybody knew Andrew Cuomo would be out of office. Um, but but, there, you know, so there were some real developments there. Uh, a lot of a lot of hankering since your 2010 campaign to bring you back into the fold. Uh, you waited. Did you did you wait too long to jump into this race? Do you regret not jumping in sooner and sort of trying to really get the party aligned behind you? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, just to kind of uh, flush out a little bit what you said. So, yes, the party's been trying to draft me to run for governor basically ever since 2010, uh, particularly in the 18 and 22 cycles, because there's everything we've talked about. They, I think people consistently and broadly think I'm the most electable and would be the best governor. Um, and so I, I find that flattering. I think it's terrific. Uh, but it's, it's only one part of my life. Like I have a wonderful family. I have a wonderful business. I'm not just some politician looking for a job in the next rung on the ladder. I'm, I'm interested in using my skills to make a difference in the world. And I've been doing that in my business, saving hundreds of thousands of American jobs while also being a great husband and father, which is hugely important to me um, and, and not compromising any of that. And so I've always said, if I run again, which I thought I would, it had to be at the right time for me and my family and my business and also a time when I thought I could win because I don't believe in suicide missions. And um, in 21, when people approached me about running 22, I actually thought those things could line up. We had two girls in college or about to, the second about to go to college. 
But I was running the largest nursing home chain in the country, and I had 40,000 employees and 20,000 patients depending upon me to deliver for them. And, you know, while Lee Zeldin was running around the state while being paid to be a congressman, but running for governor full time, I didn't have that luxury. I actually I had real responsibilities I had to attend to. And I told people that I said, listen, I don't know when my commitments land here, but I can't I can't tell you for sure. And so I can't commit. Uh, and people understood that. And so then when they, when my commitments, when I did finish the work, and a lot of those same people came back to me to try to persuade me to reconsider, uh, they said to me, look, Lee Zeldin can't win. He hasn't really made a dent in the head start that he's been given by the, by the party. You could win. You ought to reconsider. And when I did, and people beyond that initial group that approached me, uh, they all acknowledged the same thing, but they felt they made a commitment. And I said, I understand that. But, but you know, ultimately, the only thing that matters is if you if we believe everything that I say, I believe, which is unquestionably true in my case, that then we have a broken state and we need to fix it, and this is a once-in-a-generation opportunity to do so in this cycle, then we have to put all our eggs on the basket of the person most able to do that. And a number of people, you know, we finished second in the convention, even though the convention was six days after we entered the race. Um, so a lot of people were persuaded by that. Not, not a huge number, you know, ultimately. Uh, but, you know, then we, we knew at the beginning that we would have to take our case to the primary voters. And that's what we've been doing ever since we entered. To your question about do we enter too late? Uh, we're going to find out next Tuesday. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, I, I don't I don't think so. I, I believe that we are peaking at the exact right time. I think we have a significant lead upstate. And I think we're picking up enough support in the New York City DMA um, against our opponents' much more established bases to, to win. Um, and so I, I feel good about that. I also think, look, you know, most primary voters are too busy worrying about putting food on the table and paying their bills to pay attention until the last couple of weeks. And so the fact that some people have been running for two years, um, I was able to kind of rebuild all that groundwork pretty quickly. And we have momentum because, you know, we've been you know kind of catching up basically um, mm. over that lead. So I think that there's, even though it, you know, unquestionably hurt us some by starting later. On the other hand, we also have some other assets, including a lot more momentum than any other campaign right now. Uh, last two quick questions. H- how much of your own uh, wealth are you winding up putting into this primary? What's the, what's the total number going to be, but you know, for before primary day? Yeah. So it's public that I've already put in um, 11 million and um, mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that in terms of how much more I might put in, but that's, uh, that's, that's been uh, publicly disclosed mm-hmm. at this point. Last, um, last question, you know, on the, on the debate stage, as I said, Lee Zeldin, who, you know, uh, by many accounts is the, is the front runner in the race. Um, but, but uh, many experts say you, you never know. And Harry Wilson's putting a lot of money into getting his message out. And Andrew Giuliani's got his name recognition. Rob Estorino was the nominee in 2014. There's a lot of different ways people can talk about it, but, but a lot of, a lot of things in Zeldin's favor. Um, he's, he's repeatedly referring to you as a never Trumper. He's saying you're on the wrong debate stage. Cause you, you know, did some work with the Obama administration, as we talked about with the uh, auto turnaround, um, take this last minute to, you know, talk to Republican primary voters in sort of response to that, because there is obviously a lot of loyalty to the former president, um, uh, in the, in the party in New York and beyond, uh, you know, talk talk to Republican primary voters here in, in the last minute and, you know, make your closing argument, uh, so to speak, in response to those attacks. Yeah. So virtually every attack that uh, Mr. Zeldin threw at me was either a complete fabrication or a total distortion. 
And that's par for the course for Lee Zeldin. That's why I called him out for the fact he asked me to join his ticket to run uh, for controller um, in a conversation January 12th, because it's he. these are all disingenuous attacks. If they were true, he wouldn't have asked me that, but he did ask me that. It's fully documented. And he uh, and so that's that's the, the, those are the facts. And so that's why you can't really trust or believe anything he says, because they're just not true. Uh, and so, you know, I think and that's why I think they're not resonating. Say voters are smart and they realize that, you know, where the things that are true, like someone attack me on you know the fact that i haven't been in politics right they try to argue that i you know may suffer from that on some basis but at the end of the day voters kind of things that are true resonate and things that are not true like mr zeldin's attacks don't resonate and i think that's why you saw him back away from those attacks after this is disastrous first debate performance and then he tried other things i tried to attack me for where i went to college and like silly things like that that also that that was true but it didn't really make any sense or matter and so i think you know mr zeldin and by the way i think the fact he was spending all of his time attacking me shows you everything you need to know about the dynamics of the race so this is a two-horse race he sees it. I see it in the same way. Um, the difference is we're surging. He's plummeting. And that's why he tried his dishonest attacks on, on us. Mm. Do you have internal polling that that shows you're surging? Well, so, you know, we're not going to comment on polling because you know, if we do, then we have to disclose it and file with the Board of Elections. So we're oh. not going to do that. That was my attempt you, to, to have you do that. But OK. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you that you, right. you know, we're traveling the state very broadly and meeting with thousands of people. And we see it like when we we drive through towns or through visit. Like we're the only ones with, you know, kind of signs out there and grassroots support. And people really, you know, we organize the party insiders into a, a small lunch. But at the end of the day, we're, we're just walking down Main Street and talking to regular people. And everybody knows our ads. Everybody knows our mission it's resonating and people see what more we can do for them than anybody else in the field all right we're going to leave it there harry wilson republican candidate for governor in the primary that's happening right now absentee balloting early voting happening here as we speak on uh, friday june 24th 2022 a couple more days of early voting and then primary day on tuesday june 28th thank you for the time and be well great to be with you ben thanks so much okay take care